0: Hey, small-town fam. This is Paul Holes. Make sure you subscribe to The Briefing Room with Detectives Dan and Dave. Season 2 is out now. Subscribe now, and thanks. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I just had an officer come here and want to send me over and do me. Excuse me? Exactly. I've got his card right here that's what the officer said to you yes sir and he said well remember i'm a police officer and you were drinking underage and you know i get in trouble for that he asked me to shake my brazier out and i did and he has me feel his genitals and he's rubbing up against me with you know rubbing up against my breast holding me and he told me to pull my shirt out and i did that and he proceeded to stick his hand on my shirt i don't want to do anything until i have evidence
3: I'm Yardley. And I'm Zibby, and we're fascinated by true crime.
4: So we invited our friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to
3: sit down with us and share their most interesting cases.
5: I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins, and we're detectives in small town USA. Dave investigates sex crimes and child abuse. Dan investigates violent crimes, and together we've worked on hundreds of cases, including assaults, robberies, murders, burglaries, sex abuse, and child abuse. Names, locations, and certain details of these cases have been altered to protect the privacy of the victims and their families.
4: The episode you're about to hear is told by Lieutenant Scott, who at the time of this case was working as a sergeant in internal investigations. Back in June 2003, a rather shocking claim was made against Robert, a fellow decorated officer. It came from a woman named Terry, who had a history of run-ins with law enforcement. Sergeant Scott was charged with following up on Terry's claim, which he did. He was confident that his investigation would be brief and quickly prove that Terry was lying and Robert was innocent. After all, Robert had served on the police force for over 10 years and had a squeaky clean record. However, Terry's initial allegation would lead Sergeant Scott down a dark path to a mountain of corroborating evidence that would turn his world upside down and challenge
3: everything he thought he knew. The Sociopath and the Whistleblower is a four-part series. This marks part one of four.
4: Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects.
0: Detective Dave. And Detective Dan.
4: And our special guest.
0: Lieutenant Scott. At the time, I was a sergeant. I supervised the violent crimes unit, head of the police department that I used to work for.
4: Tell us how this case began for you.
0: So... On June 11th in 2003, at just a few minutes after midnight, there was a 911 call from a woman named Terry.
1: Is this an officer I'm talking to? Uh, No, I'm not a small officer, but I can help you. Well, I need to talk to, okay, you know, the the police officers, I need to talk to a person's boss.
5: Okay, tell me the situation, I can help you out.
1: Well, I don't want to do anything until I know it's real. I just had an officer come here and want to send me over and do me. Excuse me? Exactly. I've got his card right here. That's what the officer said to you? Yes, sir. What, what's the officer's name on the card? I don't want to do anything until he's going to come over tomorrow and do me on, jo- on his job. Okay. I, I can't help you out unless I knew who the officer is and more of the situation. Well, I don't want to do anything until I have evidence. What do you mean do anything? Well, I can't prove anything until you catch him.
5: So you, you're basically saying you want to set up a sting?
1: I want to say, mountain time, I'm not lying. Okay. Okay, this gentleman came to my house several months ago, and there was a problem. With, uh, was, I'm sure you know the name. Okay, I'll tell you what, let's start with your address. Okay, and an officer came there today? At midnight. Okay, so like four yes. minutes ago? Yes, sir. I kicked the mountain, him out and told to go back to work. I'm not a whore. I'm not a prostitute. I don't like
0: that. A little bit about Terry. Terry is a frequent flyer.
3: What's a frequent flyer? Yeah, because I'm like, what airline? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Frequent flyer is when you work
5: patrol, you get used to seeing the same faces over and over and over again. Um, Going to the same house. Those are frequent flyers. You know them by first name. Every cop knows them.
3: Probably especially in a small town, right?
5: Yeah. A certain address gets aired over the radio, and you already know who you're going to deal with while you're on your way to the call.
0: And when she calls, you can tell when you listen to the call that she already knows that she's not going to be taken seriously, that her credibility compared to that of the presumptive credibility a credentialed police officer has, she knows that she's going to be fighting a hard battle. Oh, man. During her call, she makes these weird comments that she repeats. And she says, I don't want you, the police department, I don't want you to do anything until I know that it's real. And what she's saying is, I don't want you guys to try to take action before I can do something to prove that I'm telling the truth. And the call taker recognizes and asks, what, do you want to set up a sting? And she says, yeah, I want to set them up. I want to prove that I'm not lying. The call taker does a splendid job of just listening and asking logical questions. A little shout out to dispatchers. You never know when you pick up that phone what the next call is going to be. And who would have expected this? Nobody could plan for this call. Sure. Sure. So as a frequent flyer, she's savvy. She's street savvy. You know, she's had lots of interactions with the police. She's had countless untold interactions on the street with criminals and under duress and all kinds of things. And she's very deliberately trying to put him aside, and she's made up in her mind, I'm going to get him to come back, and I'm going to get the cops to set up. And when he comes to do this thing again, they'll be able to catch him, and they'll believe me because they've seen it in action. So... During the course of her contact with him, she rebuffs him. And she says, I don't feel pretty. Maybe we can do this tomorrow. Maybe you can come back tomorrow. I can get cleaned up and we can have coffee or something like that. And he goes, basically, I don't want to have coffee with you. I just want to bend you over and do you.
4: (laughs) Wow. So what does the call taker, the dispatcher say? Like, okay, let me talk to people and we'll set up a sting. What is the next step in that?
0: Well, he tries to get some more information from her. What's the officer's name? And Terry is really guarded with revealing that information because she feels like if I tell you...
4: You'll tell him.
0: You'll tell him, and this thing's going to... Um, this is my chance, really. This is my opportunity. Okay, what was the
5: officer's uh, name or badge number? Oh, God. Don't do anything until I do in the act. His name is... <laughs> badge
1: number <laughs> He just—he no. he just, he just came over there right now. He just left. Tell me he wanted to bend me. He wanted to do me, and then he want me to feel his penis. Oh. A sexual harasser. And I'm like going, sir. You know, I think you, are nice gentlemen. I've never—I I, I don't like these in uniform. I understand. Yeah. I like said... And he kept, he kept, you know, he actually came about quarter to twelve. He just left. And I'm saying, no, you need to go back to work. Call me. If you want to go have coffee, that's cool. You know? And on a day he's off. He goes, no, I just want to binge you over and do you. It's the second time now. Okay. And I'm not lying. I've got his card right here. He didn't give it to me. He's got my phone never in his book. You know that Patty White sign? Sir? Yeah? He just wrote my number there. So if you guys look at his pat, it'll be my name and my phone number. Okay, now do you want to report this information to a... Uh, a warning boss. Okay, so you want me to speak to a watch commander then? Yeah. Okay. Hold I don't on. want him to know yet until I can prove it. Okay, let me... um. If they try to get me before he goes on shift, he just doing shift about nine. Hold on one second, I'll be right back with you. Okay,
0: sorry. And you know, police officers, and Dan and Dave can echo this, we're private people. We don't share a lot of information about ourselves with the general public. It's not occurring to me when I'm listening to this call that this is all evidence or compelling information.
4: Why is that?
0: I you know, I have to honestly say, and now's probably a good time. When I got this call, I'm an eighteen year cop. I'm biased. I have developed my own sense of credibility, and I have my own credibility scale that is heavily weighted by criminal background. And if somebody's got a long rap sheet, and they're making claims like this against a police officer who's married and has two children and has really a seamless record, and he's a decorated 10-year cop, I didn't believe her. I basically knew she was lying. And so I was listening to that tape trying to figure out where it is she's not being consistent what her motivation might be, all these things. I mean, let's face it, there's cops, and then there's the rest of you guys. Right, right? right.
4: civilians. Right. Yeah,
0: and so we look out for each other just like any other profession. And I think to a large part that's true. And I think at that time, that was a flaw in my investigative character. I mean, I was biased. I truly was.
3: That's so candid.
0: Thankfully, I went about this investigation in a neutral way because my philosophy was, if I just do my normal course of investigation, it's going to settle out one way or the other. And my opinion, though, was, of course, it was that her motivation is going to be revealed. You know, he was a heavy narcotics street officer. Robert? Yeah. He worked nights always, and he was always in the middle of it. And he was always grappling with bad guys and recovering drugs and searching cars. And so I figured he must have targeted her, and she's trying to get back at him. For some reason,
3: hmm. right.
0: That was my foregone conclusion, and so as investigators, and Dan and Dave can both talk about this. If you start off with a opinion in the beginning about how this crime occurred, you start only looking at facts that support your hypothesis.
4: Right. Interesting. Absolutely.
2: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When
4: you're
1: ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
4: Hey Small Town Fam, did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? So as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security that we recommend.
5: Hey Small Town Fam, Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both.
4: Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, Small Town Fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring.
5: Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com/smalltown.
4: That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. Do it.
0: history between Terry and Robert are that Robert had been dispatched to Terry's house almost a year exactly earlier, before this June 11, 2003 incident. So at that time, he had been sent there regarding a dispute, and Terry lived with a guy. They were roommates. He had a disability. He didn't move around very much. Like, for instance, if he was on the couch, he would kind of stay there most of the day. Um, he had some kind of a um, car crash related disability. They both drank. And so this night they had been drinking and there was a dispute. And Terry was reportedly suicidal. So Robert and another patrol officer were dispatched to her address for this situation. Robert arrived first, he entered the apartment, he made an assessment of the situation. He talks to this guy in the front room, and the guy's rather aloof. He's got a disability that's obvious. And I think Robert realizes Terry is in the back room. She's distraught. She's by herself. This guy's not going to get in the way. Sure. So he gets on his radio and he disregards the cover unit. So the second officer that was supposed to be responding to this, and this is a minimum two officer call, he gets rid of that guy. (laughs) So he basically says, I'm code four which means I don't need any more officers, and you can disregard my cover officer, which is this other patrol officer. So he's by himself with her.
4: Oh, this makes me so uneasy.
0: So she tells us that what happens is Robert comes into the back bedroom, sits down next to her on the bed. She's crying, consoles her, starts to rub her back, and he starts kissing her. (gasps) Yeah. And she says... You know, I was drunk. I I kissed him back. So she later told me that she told her neighbors, yeah, the cops got called to my house last night, and I ended up making out with the cop.
3: Oh, my God. So she did tell her neighbors Mm -hmm. back then. Okay. Yeah. Does that end up helping in the long run
4: that she's now disclosed that to somebody else so they can be like, yeah, that she told us that
0: happened. Yeah, it does, because you could look at that two ways. You could go, well, you know.
4: She's, she's lying to them, too.
0: Yeah. Or uh, or she's, you know, making out with a cop, and this doesn't seem to be a problem, so no harm, no foul, right? I mean, I guess you could look at it that way. But I think the way we end up looking at it is we have a witness who is not generally credible, but we can go back a year and talk to that witness who says, well, yeah, she did tell me that her and the cop had kissed, and Kevin, the roommate to Terry, also had seen them kissing. Wow. Oh. So what happens is Kevin is in the front room. He said after they had been, you know, making out in the back room, they walked out the front door together. And Kevin said minutes went by and finally he's deciding, well, Terry's probably got herself in jail. I guess I'll go see what's happening. So it's a process for him to get up and move to the front kitchen. The parking lot's elevated just slightly above the level of the ground in front of her apartment. So Kevin turns off the kitchen lights and opens the blinds, and he looks out, and he says, well, there's Terry smooching with this cop in the front seat of the car. Wow, God. So again, you got this second witness, you know.
4: So the 911 call that we hear Terry make is actually a year after she first met Robert.
3: Right, and so I want to know what the follow-up was after that 911 call. like What did the police do with that?
0: It was kind of a comedy of errors, but what happened is her worst fear on the 911 call ends up coming true. The dispatcher says, I'm going to connect you to a watch commander. So he puts her on hold for a second. The dispatcher tells the sergeant that Robert had been to Terry's house and Terry is claiming that Robert had approached her in a sexual way and tried to sexually assault her. So as it turns out, that night, Robert was a field training officer, and he was in the final phase of his field training with his recruit. And the recruit was in the shadow phase. So the recruit was driving his own police car, and Robert was the shadow police officer. So he would follow him to calls and do all these things. So the watch commander drove to where the dispatch logs said they were at.
3: What's a watch commander?
0: Watch commander is the shift supervisor, so the sergeant. Typically.
3: And that's who the 911 dispatcher put Terry on hold for to speak to. Right. Right. Correct. Okay.
0: So the watch commander looks at the call status on their computer and figures out where Robert and his recruit officer are supposed to be and begins driving there. And during this brief period of time, the dispatcher still has Terry on hold. And Terry, in his other ear, says, Oh my God, he's back he being Robert.
3: Oh, my God.
0: So the dispatcher hangs up, tries to call back, and doesn't get back through. But what happened was when Terry said she thought Robert was back, it had actually been her neighbor next door coming to knock on the door and see why the police were there. So she misintuited that door knock as being Robert's back. So the dispatcher says, this woman Terry just told me that he was back. He tells this to the watch commander. And the watch commander says, well, she must be crazy because, or making this up because I'm at such and such cross town. And Robert and his recruiter right in front of me, I'm looking at him. They're right there. Oh, my oh God. That's dear.
3: so unfortunate. Isn't that
0: terrible? Yeah. yeah. So so what ends up happening then is that this watch commander gets a picture of Terry, shows it to Robert, and says, this woman just called us and said that you were just at her house.
4: Oh, my God.
0: And Robert says... I hadn't never seen her before. Don't recognize her. She's obviously crazy. And so the flaw here is that watch commander did nothing. And so it sits for 10 days. But thankfully, Terry, who doesn't get a call back, decides, now wait a minute, what is going on? So she calls back.
3: Yes, Terry.
4: Yeah. God, I'd love Yeah, that. huh?
0: Yeah. So now Terry gets a hold of a different daytime watch commander, a friend of mine, Randy. And Sergeant Randy comes down to my office, down the hall, and says, hey, I've got this woman on the phone. She says that she called earlier. I found the 911 recording. I've got that. I recorded my conversation with Terry again. Here they are. He gives it to me. And so I listen to the 911 recording. I listen to Sergeant Randy's interview with her. And they are seamlessly consistent.
3: This was the moment where you were made privy to any of this. Is that correct? Correct. That was the first time
0: I'd heard of it. I was assigned the investigation, and the captain just said, well, look into it. So we had one person, Terry, and Terry was the whistleblower. I've referred to her as the whistleblower. She was not the first to have reported bad behavior by Robert over the last five or six years.
4: You find this out once you start to investigate this case. Right.
3: You put these pieces together. Yes. She wasn't the first.
0: No, not by far she wasn't the first.
3: Holy shit. What happened to all these other previous complaints about Robert's bad behavior then?
0: It's that institutional reluctance to be critical of our own people, right? Right. I think every profession has a institutional sort of a resistance to be critical of their own Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Of course. Right?
5: I think you don't want to believe that there's a fox in the hen house. You don't want to believe it. Sure,
3: right. I mean, it happens in Hollywood all the time, as we know.
0: I mean, we look outside for trouble, right? Once we credential police officers and we give them a prox card and a badge and a gun, they're one of us, and we look outside the building for trouble.
4: That's well said,
0: yes. That was the hardest Hurdle for me to get over was that.
4: So, what were the other complaints about Robert?
0: In one case, a patrol officer had contact with another frequent flyer by the name of Amy, who was a heroin junkie, street prostitute, criminal, a street pirate, I guess is what we call him. Any crime of opportunity, anything for money, she was down for it criminally, right? But she had developed an information source relationship with this officer. And one night, she told this officer, hey, um, I don't know if you know about this, but the word on the street, and it's widespread, is that this Robert guy is known by women on the street, by my friends, as Officer Bojob.
4: Oh, boy.
0: And she says he is trading sex for freedom.
4: For their freedom.
0: Right. And uh, his preferred sex act is oral sex. And she said, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of women out here who are afraid of him. They run when they see him. So the officer takes the information to his patrol lieutenant and says, hey, this is what this Amy told me. According to the officer, the lieutenant, the LT, brings Amy up in the computer, consults her record, looks at her picture and says, man, you need to keep the opinions of these horrors and prostitutes in context and consider the source.
3: Mm.
4: Man alive.
0: I, yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: It's sort of just as a, I keep thinking of what you just said that his currency was blowjobs. It's kind of a fascinating irony that these prostitutes run from him when that is like, that's a lot of what they do, do you know? But they sure. don't even want to deal with this guy. That's pretty bad, that seems.
0: Yeah, that's a good observation. And as time went on and as I talked to more victims and I really began to establish myself as credible with this sort of nefarious underworld of women in this community, that theme began to show more and more frequently. And one of the themes was that, for lack of a better term, he seemed to get off on his authority I mean, obviously, right, but...
3: Been in a real sadistic way. Right.
0: I mean, he would use his gun. He would hold his gun to women's heads. Oh, wow. While he was compelling them to perform oral sex. Oh, God. I mean, this seemed to give him excitement. I later kind of concluded, well, if, I guess if you were going to have sex in uniform, that was a convenient and quick way to get back into service, right? so to speak. And I I say that, I guess, with using air quotes, because it sounds ridiculous. But I mean, he would spend his time when he was out there supposed to be doing his job and protecting and serving the public. He was selfishly motivated and always looking for sex.
4: Hey, small town fam. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break ins happen in broad daylight? So, as the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award winning home security that we recommend.
5: Hey, small town fam, Detective Dave here. Yardley's right. As a former police officer who's responded to hundreds of alarm calls, the benefits of Simply Safe cannot be understated. On Small Town Dicks, we often discuss home security and situational awareness. Simply Safe provides an easy and effective way for you to accomplish both.
4: Simply Safe was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report, and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. And you, small town fam, can test out a Simply Safe system with absolutely no risk to you with. Simply Safe's 60-day risk-free trial. If you don't love your system, return it for a full refund. So protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring.
5: Be sure to take advantage of the Small Town Fam discount at simplysafe.com/smalltown.
4: That's simplysafe.com/smalltown. Do it.
3: So let me ask you this. Sergeant Randy comes to you with these 911 calls. Terry's story is consistent in both of those calls. You've uncovered that there have been multiple complaints made against Robert. How do you go about investigating
0: this thing? Well, the first thing I did is I decided to go out to the apartment complex and do a witness canvas. So witness is you canvas the area for witnesses. I mean, it's a logical first step. And I thought, I'm looking for a witness that's going to tell me that Robert wasn't there. Because, again, I don't believe this situation. Our call logs did not indicate that he had been there.
4: And what's the significance of that?
0: So, officers are supposed to notify dispatch when they arrive at a location. If they're out on patrol... They're out on patrol. They don't necessarily have to check in. And this was before geographic locator on vehicles.
3: Like GPS
4: stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't know.
3: So vehicles have that now?
0: Vehicles have it. You can track where any
3: vehicle's been all day long. Yep.
0: Speeds, locations, times. Which would have helped immensely. Would have. I mean, I had to actually use my magnifying glass as a real detective. (laughs) That's our logo. Yeah. Yeah, is it? All right, see? Yeah. 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 But it's true. Technology hadn't come up to the point where some of this stuff was easy but he hadn't checked out with dispatch so the presumption was that if he's not on a call he's out on patrol if he's out on patrol and he stops somewhere and gets out of his car he's supposed to notify dispatch where he's at right it was an example i'm going to be out on foot at fifth and street for foot patrol and then they copy and then you're there and that's where everybody expects you to be it's a safety thing so if i check out there dan and dave both know that i'm there and if something goes wrong or they don't hear from me, they know where to start.
3: Yeah, it's meant for your safety, first and foremost, right? That reporting is meant
0: for yeah, yeah the officer's yeah. safety. <laughs> sure, you bet.
4: Robert, I'm assuming, is in a marked police car? Yes. So if he pulls up to Terry's house, presumably neighbors go, oh yeah, the police were here, not as though he pulled up just in a sedan. Exactly. It could be anybody. Exactly. Okay. He worked
0: in uniform, he was operating a marked patrol unit. And so in this apartment complex that Terry lived in, it's a two-story identical apartment buildings that share the same parking lot and face each other. So Terry's downstairs apartment faces a two-story apartment complex, and the front doors of those apartments all face Terry's apartment. So again, this was at midnight when this allegedly occurred. So I started doing a canvas for witnesses, and I selected the building that opposed Terry's apartment. And I ultimately knocked on the door on the second floor, and I talked to a woman named Irene. And Irene said, I work at a convenience store. I only work on, I think it was Tuesdays. And I work from 4 to 11. I ride the bus home. I usually get in my neighborhood at about 11.40. And uh, let me check my calendar. And she said, yeah, I worked that day. So I said, do you remember seeing a police officer in the parking lot? And she goes, well, you know what? Yeah, that day, I remember I walked across the parking lot and I saw a police car parked outside Terry's apartment. Oh, man. And what's weird is in my neighborhood, if there's a police car, there's three of them. There's never one, right? (laughs) And this is just, you know, that's an insight into the nature of the neighborhood. You know, if there's trouble, there's lots of trouble usually. So there's usually two or three police cars. And she said, there was just one police car. And she said, as I walked across the parking lot, it was silent. And she said, I'm like anybody else. If there's a police car in the neighborhood, I want to know where are they at, you know, is there an open door? Are there voices yelling? Nothing. She said, it was quiet, completely silent. So she said, I got my mail. I walked up to my apartment and I looked around deliberately. And then she said, I, I went into my apartment, I went to bed and her husband works night shift too. And he gets home about 15 minutes later, he gets home at like about 12:15, and she's still awake. And, He comes into the room. She says, is there a police car downstairs? He says, no. Well, there's that 15-minute period of time where Robert later says, I was never there.
4: Okay, so hang on just one second. Let me get this straight. So in between the time that Irene goes to bed and her husband comes home from the late shift, Robert's cop
3: car is gone. Which matches up with Terry's account on the 911 call of Robert leaving just after midnight.
0: Right. And he had already told us, I didn't recognize this woman, never seen her before, when clearly he'd been there twice and he dealt with her. Well, we know he had dealt with her one time prior to that. So there's a uninvolved witness who's accounting for a police car being there when it's not supposed to be there.
5: So he's FTO, shadow phase still, Yeah, correct? Yes. And he's supposed to be shadowing his recruit. Right. So the recruit's on a call and Robert breaks away. Like, I'm watching, but he's really not. Exactly. He's doing his own thing. An FTO in the shadow phase is to be rarely seen and not heard. It's like he's not there because he wants to see how this recruit in the critical phase right before being cut loose, how he's handling calls, what decisions he's making. And so FTOs in the shadow phase will sit back. You won't hear him on the radio for extended periods of time. They'll see that their officer is doing what they're supposed to do.
4: So it's the
3: perfect cover.
5: And he can listen to the radio also. When the recruit clears from a call, no matter where he is, he can clear too.
3: Isn't the recruit aware that Robert isn't there? Well, that's
5: part of the critical phase is that you never know when your FTO is going to show up.
3: Oh, wow. So, of course, it's like the perfect opportunity to duck out and go do whatever you're going to do.
0: Totally. And as an investigator, I ended up utilizing a crime analyst and really having that analyst assigned to me full-time. And that was one of our jobs was, where was he supposed to be during this period of time? What's a
4: crime analyst? What is that?
0: They analyze police statistics, crime statistics, crime trends. In this case, they were able to manipulate and examine our call logs and our police records, our secure databases and utilize that as a sort of a forensic tool to place him geographically to at locations. To connect the dots, to exactly. say.
5: You take his radio traffic, where he's calling out, does that match up with a call that he's supposed to be assigned to? The gaps in inactivity, where he's just driving around and you haven't heard him on the radio, or he's not assigned to a call. Overlap all that together to see if it all matches up. Exactly. So you yeah. go
3: get this forensic analysis to try and piece together. Was he even nearby? Is this... More probable than I thought.
0: Exactly. And what I found was he not only was using the recruit as a subterfuge to sort of put himself elsewhere, but I also found that he was using computer access to conduct inquiries on these women. And he was doing so on computers that had not been logged off by other officers. So he was running (sighs) people's names on other people's sign-in.
3: So it was untraceable to him. Yeah. Okay, so at that point, did the so-to-speak light go off for you? Was your bias melting at this point as you describe it?
5: Well, that particular intel didn't come out until later in the investigation. Yep.
3: Oh, oh. so you were still a skeptic. So when did that really start to shift for you then?
0: You know, this Irene information from the witness, the consistency in the statements by Terry Robert's denial to the watch commander that he had ever seen her before all started to line up for me.
4: So what's your next move?
0: I I briefed my captain, and Robert was brought in. He was informed about the investigation. And I remember him saying, is this that Terry chick? Because I already told you guys, I've never seen her before. If that's her, have you seen her record? She's, like, got a rap sheet a mile long. I said, you know, I understand that, but... This investigation has to take its course. So we took his gun, his badge, his credentials, and placed him on administrative leave, which is basically paid time away from the building. You can't be back at the building. You have to stay away, but you have to be accessible to the phone. It's just sort of a normal protocol.
4: That seems like a pretty serious reprimand. Did he not think that you guys were onto him?
0: When you give away your
5: gun and badge and hand it in, it's a big deal.
4: Right?
0: Mm-hmm. I think he was the kind of person who. Um, a
4: sociopath.
0: He is. He's a sociopath. So.
4: He thinks he's going to get away with it. So whatever. He is.
0: He is as arrogant as can be. I mean, he's aloof. He's like, all right, well, you guys got to do what you got to do. I guess. You know. Did
3: that sway you at all? Like, how did you categorize that in his favor or not in his favor?
0: Um, I knew his personality was such that, you know, he had been a Golden Gloves boxer. And his face looked like he'd been in a few fights. He was sort of rough. His demeanor with people was curt and, matter of fact, and very arrogant. And so I expected that response a little bit from him. Okay. So it didn't really impact me that much at that point. But one of the things that Terry had mentioned during her phone call was she told the dispatcher, you know that notebook you guys carry? She said, he wrote my name. Terry and my phone number in his notebook. So it'll be in his notebook. So during this conversation, when I'm relinquishing him of his police equipment, I ask him, hey, can I search your locker? He says, you can search everything. He stands up, search me. I said, well, do you have your notebook with you? No, it's in my locker. "Okay, so I can search your locker? Yeah, search my locker. It's ridiculous. So I went down in the basement. We had our property control unit, our lab. And I padlocked his locker, put my own padlock on it so I could secure it and know that nobody had tampered with it or he hadn't sent somebody in to maybe get something from his locker during a short smart. time. And, you know, again, this is me struggling internally with, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is she telling the truth? Is he telling the truth? So in my interest in trying to protect his reputation... I come up with this plan and notify dispatch that I put some placards on both of the doors that there was a chemical spill downstairs. So chemical
3: (laughs) spill? Yeah, you know,
0: because they have like gun cleaning equipment and and sometimes people bring chemicals into the lab and it's not unusual for somebody to spill something. And then so I was thinking, this is a good way for me to just sort of keep everybody out of downstairs and not draw attention to anything, right? So I had, there was a great plan. I hatched it all out, and I went in there and I started going through the stuff. And then apparently one of the property control clerks didn't get the message that I had put this out as a ruse, and the alarm started going off.
4: And hazmat shows up. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it's too. God. I know, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this very clearly. I get the notebook out. I flip through, and he does record information, like most cops. Last name, first, first name, middle name, and it's all date chronologized. And as I'm flipping through, not expecting to find Terry, bang, there it is. The
4: Sociopath and the Whistleblower will return next week with part
3: two. Small Town Dicks is produced by Zibby Allen and Yardley Smith for Paperclip Limited, with editing from Logan Heftel and Yardley and Zibby. Music for the show
4: was composed by John Forrest.
3: If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you like to listen to your podcasts.
4: And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SmallTownDicks. Also, visit our website, SmallTownDicks.com, for more information and to leave questions and comments for the team.